uh, Exodus chapter 3 brings us to this place where Moses actually, uh, God, is, God is calling Moses at this point. And just a, a brief, brief history is that Moses was actually born in Egypt to a slave family. He was born into slavery in Egypt to a peasant family. And um, uh, he, was, he was born, he, he actually, his mom, I think most of you know it, you know the story, his mom put him in a basket, put him in the river, in the reeds, he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter actually got him, gave him back to his own mom to raise for a little while. And, uh, and then uh, when he was of the right age, his mom actually gave him back to Pharaoh's daughter. And from that point on, he began to live as an Egyptian. Everyone believed that he was Egyptian. Nobody knew that he was a Hebrew. And uh, so he actually lived as, a, as an Egyptian until he murdered an Egyptian. Okay? Sometimes we think of Moses and, like, you know, we think of the long white beard and, you know, probably the flowing robes and the clothes. And we think about, you know, how great he was to lead all of the people. But, but don't forget that he was born into a peasant slave. He was born into slavery. He was born a slave. Yes, he then began to live as an Egyptian, but then he murdered an Egyptian and had to run from Egypt from Pharaoh because Pharaoh wanted to kill him. And so he's, he's this, this uh, Hebrew pretending to be an Egyptian, uh, murderer, you know, ex-slave, fugitive. Uh, out. By the time we get him in chapter 3, he's already married at this point, and he is um, uh, living in a place called Midian. Uh, with the priest of Midian. His name's Jethro. It's an incredible story, incredible set of events. But here what we find, this is the calling. This is one of those very well-known, famous chapters in the Bible, the burning bush. All of us know about it, okay? If you've never read the story, you've seen the movie, or you've seen the old Charlton Heston movie. Anybody seen the old movie, The Ten Commandments, with Charlton Heston? Yes, a couple of you classic guys in here. Okay, great movie. Um, and so this is, the, this is when God comes to call Moses to do all of those incredible things that he ends up doing in the book of Exodus. So we've got two main divisions in here. If I, hey Matt, this is going to go good on YouTube. It's okay, you don't have to, you don't have to come down. If I walk in front of the speakers, is, are we going to get feedback? Do we, we don't know. Hello, 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 testing. No, it's okay. Good quality stuff here. Exodus chapter 3. God reveals himself, number one, God reveals himself, and then the second division is God reveals his will. So up to this point, the first two chapters, all that's gone on in the life of Moses up to this point, he still does not know God. Okay, It's incredible to think, and I'll talk some more about that. But let's go ahead and jump into our first section here, which is going to take us through the first six verses. This is where God reveals himself. We see in verse 1, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. So I'm going to ask you some trick questions. Here's the first trick question. Whose flock is Moses tending? Oh, wasn't that hard? <laughs> it's like, oh, I just had, I just had to read. <laughs> He's tending Jethro's flock. My point is this. Moses does not have his own flock. Okay? You understand? That's going to come into play later. That's why I'm pointing it out. Now, Moses, 
Right, that's why Sierra pointed it out for us. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to a place called Horeb, which we find out is called the Mountain of God. Now, whether it was called the Mountain of God before or later on, uh, we're not sure. But he comes to this, to this place called Horeb. Now, here's where we get our first point. What we see is that God reveals himself. He meets Moses right where he is. Well, where is he? Well, he's tending a flock. It's not even his own flock. And I want you to note this in verse 1, that he led the flock to the back of the desert. So Moses is leading a flock that is not even his own. He's on the back side of the desert. He comes to this place called Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, um, you guys, I'm sure, are all familiar, or, or at least somewhat familiar, with the life of a shepherd, because you see them quite often out here. I've seen them out here. Um, as I'm driving in and out of, of Menifee. Uh, believe it or not, back in San Bernardino, I haven't seen them in a long time, but occasionally uh, we would see some flocks out there in certain areas of the, of the, the city. Uh, we don't see them anymore because they would probably get shot at or something. But anyways, the, the, uh, you, you see that, that um, uh, the, the life of a shepherd is a solitary life. When you see them out here, when you see the sheep grazing, what you'll often see, and I've seen it probably every time, I see a sheep grazing, you'll also see a small trailer. That small trailer is where the shepherd lives when he or she is out here watching over the sheep. Uh, and they're normally out there by themselves. They might have their dog with them. Okay, uh, that's, that's very common. But, but the idea is that the, the shepherd is uh, living a solitary life, just the shepherd and the sheep. Now, I don't know for sure that Moses was alone. He may have had some uh, uh, other servants or somebody with him. I don't know uh, because, well, well, we'll get to it in a couple minutes why, why there's some question. But, but the, I, I want you to understand that this is an isolated time. Uh, this is why oftentimes camps, summer camps, winter camps, uh, weekend retreats can be so valuable because they pull us away from the rest of society, our surroundings. And that's what's going on here. In a sense, Moses is on like, you know, his his weekend retreat. He's, he's out tending the flock and he goes to the backside of the desert. So not only is it an isolated lifestyle, but then he's on the backside of the desert. One of my favorite places to go visit and to go hike is Joshua Tree National Park. And I love getting out there, uh, out into the middle of nowhere or up on one of those mountains and looking around and there's just nothing for as far as I can see. And uh, you can get out there and you can start echoing, you know, uh, hey, 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 or whatever, you know. And you go back into some of the canyons. Uh, one of my favorite hikes is the Boy Scout Trail that's there. You get on and you just walk and you just go for miles and you don't see anybody or anything. I mean, you might see some animals or something. You might occasionally see some other hikers. But it's, 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 it's isolated. And you can stop out there in the middle of nowhere and just listen. And you can't hear anything. There are no cars. There's no sirens. There's no helicopters. There's no dogs barking. No people, you know, no neighbors yelling. Uh, there's none of that. You can't hear the freeway. It's, it's, it's isolated. And it's wonderful at times. And Moses is in that type of environment. 
And he led the flock of, of uh, Jethro to the back of the desert, came to this mountain, mountains called Horeb. And it says in verse 2 at that point, this is where God reveals himself. He meets Moses right where he is. It says in verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Now we all, again, I think everybody in here probably knows the story. I want you to pay attention in verse 2. I'm going to ask you another trick question. Okay? I'm looking for someone other than Sierra. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the, from the midst of a bush. Who appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush? Cricket. Cricket. Yes. The angel of the Lord. Very good, Alex. Thank you very much. It was the angel of the Lord. Now, you'll know that she didn't say an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. And the reason she said the angel of the Lord is, I know this is going to floor you, but it's because she read verse 2, where it says the angel of the Lord. Now, the point that I'm making is this was not an angel. This was no ordinary angel, but this was the angel of the Lord. And it says there that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Now, what do they mean by the angel of the Lord? I thought, I always thought that it was God in the bush appearing to Abraham, or, or rather to Moses, sorry. Well, let's find out. So he looked in verse 2, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. So, what you and I, when we, when we come to these passages that we know so well, what I would suggest to you is to try and remove yourself from the story. In other words, here, here's what I mean. Try and remove yourself from knowing the story. You've, you've heard it a thousand times. You've heard it at VBS. You heard it at camp when you were growing up. You heard it in Sunday school when you were little. But let me try to look at it with some fresh eyes. Moses is on the backside of the desert. God is meeting him right where he is. And he sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. So it's on fire, but the bush itself is not burning. This is hard for us to understand or to picture because we all live in, in dusty Southern California. As, you know, glamorous as it is and Hollywood and beaches and everybody wants to come here to Southern California. The fact is we live in a dusty desert is where we live. And yeah, we've erected buildings and, you know, piers and, you know, all kinds of beautiful things, but... It's pretty dry and desolate here. And when things burn, they just burn. They cook. You don't show up and, oh, look, the tumbleweed was on fire, but, man, it didn't really burn, you know, that fast. No, it, it ignites, and two seconds later, it's gone. So it's hard for us to picture this, that a bush would be burning. We don't know what kind of bush it was, but it's burning and not being consumed. So Moses sees this, and in verse 3, it says this. Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. Now, Moses said, let me ask you a question. In verse 3, we don't know if there's anybody. As far as we know, there's no one there with Moses. So who in the world is he talking to? Anybody want to take a wild guess? Who do you think he's talking to? Himself. Maybe to himself. Do you ever talk to yourself? Come on. I talk to myself all the time. Does anybody else in here talk to themselves? Yes. Everybody does. If you say no... You should talk to yourself and call yourself a liar, because I know that you do. Perhaps he's talking to himself. Who else might he be talking to? God. Might be talking to God. Maybe he's recognizing that, hey, this bush is burning. I don't know, God, here I come. I'm going to come take a look. Anybody else? 
Anybody else that he might be talking to? Bam! How many of you have pets? How many of you are animal people? You love your animals, right? And you talk to your animals, don't you? I've got two little dogs at home, and I'll do that all the time. I'll come in, and like, I'll look at them, or I'll, I'll go back out to the, to the backyard, and I'll look at them. They're just standing there looking at me. Like, you know, they're looking at me like, don't you understand? Like, I need a treat. I need, what do you have for me? And I'll look at them, and I'll just do one of these. I'll go, what? What do you want? Go away. You know, and they understand, go away. But when I'm standing there looking at them, I'm like, what? What do you want? Speak up. You know, I do that all the time. Or sometimes I'm out there working on something, and they're, you know, getting in the way, and I say, hey, go away. And I talk to the animals all the time. So maybe, maybe Moses is talking to the animals. We don't really know who he's talking to, Okay. But he's talking, and he says, I'm, he decides this. He says, I'll, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So in verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses replied, here I am. Okay, hold on. So Moses sees this bush burning. He goes over to see it. Um, we were told in verse 2 that the angel, Alex told us that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses right where he was at from that bush. But now we're told that when the Lord saw him, so we have the angel of the Lord, then we see that the Lord saw Moses turn and start, start coming toward the bush, and then God spoke to him from the bush. So which was it? Was it the angel of the Lord? Did the Lord see him? Was, was, uh, uh, um, uh, was God in the bush? What was it? Well, I believe that they were all three the same. Now, here's what many people believe. I do not think that this is a bad idea at all. It's very much possible. But in verse 2, when it says the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord, like, hey, there's only one, and it's the angel of the Lord. Now, there are many angels... But the angel of the Lord, many people believe that this is a reference to Jesus, of what we would call a pre-incarnate appearing of Jesus. Meaning, an appearing of Jesus before he actually was born, you know, in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, in the New Testament. Uh, because Jesus is eternal, he always has been. And so many people believe that this would be an appearing of Jesus, but whether it's God the Son, God the Father specifically, it's God. God calls to him from this bush, and in verse 4 says, Moses, Moses. Now again, let me for just for a moment forget the fact that I've heard this story many times before. I'm pretending like this is the first time I've seen it. There's a bush burning, but it's, but it's not being consumed. Okay. Then I go over to the bush to find out, like, what in the world is this? I get there, and something, uh, there's a voice that comes out of the bush. I'm going to imagine that for just a moment. Again, go back to your pets. Those of you that have pets, I know that you talk to them. Imagine, let's just imagine, not even, not even a bush. Let's talk about your dog, or your cat, or your reptile, or your turtle, or whatever it might be. And you talk to it, imagine that it spoke back to you. And what that would do to you. How that would freak you out. How you, you know, you might think, oh, I wish that my little dog could talk to me. But if it did, it would probably freak you out and you'd probably take it to the pound or something. Get rid of it. Or you'd run around trying to tell everybody, no, really, my dog was talking to me. And then they would show up and the dog would just be sitting there looking at him like, 
you know, I didn't say nothing. Everybody would think you were crazy. But he gets over to this bush, and the bush calls his name. So the bush that's burning, that's not being consumed, knows his name. Now, what is going on in Moses' mind? I don't know for sure. I can tell you what would be going on in my mind. Like, man, was that meat that I had for breakfast bad? The water that I drank from that well or that I've got in my cantina right here, did it go bad? Am I hallucinating? Am I, you know, is it, you know, there, there, I, I, again, I flash back to, uh, um, uh, to Joshua Tree. I don't know how many, how many of you have ever been to Joshua Tree? Anybody ever been there? Just a few of you. It's an incredible place. You got to go. I'm not crazy about the desert, but in the cooler months, I love going there. And there's all kinds of trippy hippies that live there in Joshua Tree. Uh, they're all over the place, all ages, all colors. They're they're all over the place, and it's you know you see tie dye and and dreadlocks and uh, you just see everybody living there. It's a it's a trippy place, but I think of the people in Joshua Tree, and how you know uh, how sometimes you know they might be uh, uh, you know imagining things or hallucinating for some reason, and how Moses must have been out there and thinking, man. Like, is it just too hot? Um, did I eat something bad? Did I drink something bad? Uh, am I imagining things? Am I dreaming? What must be running through his mind to see this bush burning, not consume, and then it knows his name and calls him? And this gets even stranger, even weirder, because Moses answers the bush. The bush says, Moses, Moses, and he says, here I am. He actually answers the bush. What a trap. This reminds me of Balaam when his donkey was talked to him and he answered the donkey. He didn't say, I can't believe you're talking or what a nice voice you have. Or He, he actually answered the donkey back. The donkey spoke to him and he actually answered the donkey back. This reminds me of that, that Moses answers the bush. Now let's stop for a moment. Again, you've heard the story, you've seen the movie, you know it, backwards and forwards, whatever. Let's move on to something more exciting. Hold on. Moses was born into a peasant family, born into slavery. He lived with the royal family until he murdered an Egyptian, became a murderer. Ran from Egypt as a fugitive. Pharaoh was hot on his trail, wanted to kill him. He goes from, from living with the royal family to being a fugitive to being a shepherd. Now he's on the backside of the mountain, backside of the desert. He sees a bush that's burning, but it's not consumed. The bush calls his name, and Moses answers the bush. Okay? Now, does any part of that sound strange to you? Because it sounds incredibly strange to me. And if, I'm not trying to be blasphemous or disrespectful, but if I were God, and I were about to do some incredible event, I, I, I was about to rescue uh, possibly millions of people from slavery, I don't know exactly who I would pick, maybe like a Rambo or, you know, like Vin Diesel or uh, like maybe a younger Jackie Chan, right? 
or maybe a Bruce Lee, or you know, um, maybe like uh, Daniel Craig, you know, from from you know uh, uh, James Bond, you know, something like that, or uh, Liam Neeson. This is not the good one. He just beats everybody up, right? I might pick somebody like that. Let me tell you who I wouldn't pick. I wouldn't choose an ex-peasant slave murderer who sees things in the desert and talks to bushes. That, is, that would not be my first choice. In fact, it wouldn't be my fifth choice or my last choice. And yet, this is precisely who God is about to call. That's why we said he meets Moses where he is. And the lesson for you and I is this. You, in all of your failures and with all of your weirdness, and you talking to your animals, what's wrong with you? And all of the shortcomings that you have, I'd be willing to bet, I'd be willing to gamble that nobody in this room has ever murdered somebody else other than in your mind. You've never physically murdered somebody. But check this out. Even if you had, God can still use you. You have not. So already you're a leg up on Moses. You've not murdered somebody. This is the individual whom God will use to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt and to begin heading toward the promised land. Incredible. God meets you and I right where we are with our little flock out in the wilderness. We'll talk some more about that as we get a little bit further into it. He says at the end of verse 4, here I am, and in verse 5, then God, God speaks to him again and says, do not draw near this place. Don't come close. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. You need to remove your shoes. You need to understand that you're standing on holy ground. And you need to be respectful. You need to recognize. And in verse 6, we find out that he reveals himself. He meets Moses right where he is. And then secondly, he makes himself known. He introduces himself in verse 6. For he said, moreover he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon him. We get into our second section. We find out now that, okay, we understand who Moses is got an idea of who's talking to him from the bush and in verse 7 we read this and the Lord said now God is revealing his will and the first thing that he's going to do here is reveal his purpose in all of this why why is he talking to Moses I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows I want you to take note of this God says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. I've seen it. He says, and have heard. So he's seen, he's heard, and at the end of verse 7, and I know. He, God has seen, he's heard, and he knows. He is familiar with the issues that are facing his own people. He understands the hardships. Make no mistake, this is a reminder, simply a reminder, that the time in which you and I find ourselves living, 
with all of the craziness that's happening going on in society around us? I don't know about you, but I look, and what, what, I, what I do is I look at all of the racial tension going on, all of the stuff with the virus, all of the stuff with the president, just all of the craziness, and I can start to get caught up in it. And then I oftentimes will catch myself and say, wait a minute. And I'll begin to look and say, well, where, where is God? And, I, and I'm sharing my heart with you. That's what I do when I'm up here. There's a lot of times where I look and I don't see God. And I'm looking like, I'm looking at the protests and I'm looking at, I'm looking at parts of my city being broken uh, and, and burned. And I'm looking around and going, man, where is God? And I don't always see him. Moses was in Egypt. He saw firsthand the slavery and the mistreatment of his own people. Remember, he was living like an Egyptian, but in his heart, he knew he was a Hebrew. And he saw the mistreatment. He saw the oppression. He saw the injustice. And apparently in Moses' heart and in his mind, he looked around and he's like, I don't see God, so I'm going to do something about it. And he grabbed that Egyptian and killed him, buried his body in the sand. He decided, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. So we can oftentimes look around and say, I don't, I don't see God. But make no mistake, God is aware of it. He's seen the oppression. He's heard the cry. He knows the sorrows. And we're wondering, well, why doesn't he do something about it, right? Why doesn't he do something about it? If he knows about it, tell him to show up. Why doesn't he come and do something? Well, I think that he wants to. I believe that he wants to. I wonder, and this is a question I have in my mind, I wonder if he's looking for a Moses that he can use to address these issues. To lead people out of this type of slavery, slaves to sin. And you see, I ask that question, you immediately think this. I know what's going on in your mind. You're thinking, I don't know, maybe, but he ain't going to use me. Why not? He used peasant, slave, murderer, shepherd. So are you going to tell me that he can't use you and I? If you knew the things that I had done in my past, you would not be sitting here. You'd be like, no, I'm not listening to this man. He's out of his mind. He ought to be in jail. He ought to be locked up. So how is it that God can use Moses, but, oh, you're beyond help? I don't think so. I wonder if God wants to answer and address these social ills that we are seeing going on all around us. And he's looking for individuals through which he can work. Imperfect individuals. Because that's what he's doing here. He says, I've seen it all. Now, remember, we're looking at he's, he's revealing his will. And he reveals the purpose of his visit he, he's, and, and his plan. And, and we'll talk more about his plan in just a moment. But look at, at verse 8. He tells us here that his purpose is to deliver. It's deliverance. And it's deliverance out of and into. Verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Okay? There it is. He wants to deliver them out of slavery from the Egyptians. And it's not enough to just get them out of there, and then set them free. That's not what he's doing. Like, okay, you're all free. Go go figure it out. But he's got so much more in mind. To deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land 
to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So God's plan, his desire is deliverance, to deliver them out of Egypt. But look how God does. See, what mankind will do is they'll get you out of slavery and then, hey, it's up to you. Go figure it out. But what God does is he delivers you out of the slavery and then delivers you also into a much better life or a much better plan. Our plans stop short. We, we, we dream. We plan too, too small. That's why it's always better to go with God's plan because his plan is always complete. And here he tells them, I'm going to, I want to deliver them out of Egypt and into the promised land. And in verse 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. At this point, what he does is he begins to reveal, in his, as part of his will, his plan. So he told us his purpose. Now he tells us the plan to accomplish that. I love this. And we've got to finish in a few minutes. Um, so I've got to hurry here. Verse 10. He says, Come now. Therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So he's just revealed to Moses, I'm going to use you. I will send you to Pharaoh. Now, let me ask you another trick question. See if you're paying attention. When Moses left Egypt, who was he running from? Pharaoh. From Pharaoh. Because he had killed an Egyptian. Pharaoh found out about it. He was part of Pharaoh's family. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he was Pharaoh's grandson. And he killed someone. He killed an Egyptian. And so his grandfather wants to kill him. What a trip. But now God is saying, I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh. Like, I'm not just sending you back to Egypt. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. So I'm not just sending you to like, hey, go down the street from Egypt and then I'll get all the people out, and you can, no. I want you to go into Egypt, and I want you to go find Pharaoh, and I want you to go talk to him. Now, again, what must have been going on in his mind? We'll see that in just a moment. But I love this. There's a phrase in verse 10. It says, come now. Come now. Now, those of you that were here for Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, I don't know if anybody remembers what was going on in Genesis chapter 12. Anybody remember what was happening? God called Abraham. Yes. Good job, John. God called Abraham. And he says to Abraham, go out from your country, from your kindred, that's your family, and from your father's house. And you may remember that when God said go out, it was the word yalak. Everybody say yalak. Yalak, all right, very good, all five of you. Yalak. And we learned in Genesis chapter 12 that Yalak, Y-A-L-A-K, that's the word go, like uh, um, um, go out from. Or what did he say in Genesis 12? Go, go from. That's the word, Yalak. And it can mean go. But we learned in Genesis 12 that it doesn't just mean go, like get out of here. It means go away from this place and come with me. And we found out that it was an invitation. Well, guess which word 
God uses in verse 10. When he says, come now, it is the word yalak. What we found out in Genesis chapter 12, and it is true here, and this is why I'm pointing it out, this isn't a, hey Moses, this is what I'm going to use you to do, now get out of here and go do it. No. This is a Moses, this is what I'm going to do, and I want you to come with me. It's an invitation. His plan involves an invitation, and he has just extended an invitation to Moses. I am going to do this incredible thing. I see the suffering. I'm going to deliver the people out of Egypt. That's right. I'm going to take millions of people out of the land of Egypt. And Moses, I want to use you. Come, Yalak, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, what is going on in Moses' mind when we get a glimpse? Verse 11, but, the word but indicates a change in direction. But Moses said to God, he asked a couple of questions, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, we'll get to that in just a moment. Because we get the, the, the reply in verse 12. But here's the deal. God just revealed to Moses, I've got this incredible plan, and I want to use you to accomplish that plan. And I believe with all of my heart, all of my heart, this is one of the big reasons why I'm here. One of the big reasons why I do things the way that I do. Is... I'm not just, this is for me, this is not just babysitting you until you're done with high school and then you're off to college, great, wipe my hands, I'm done with you. I'm always on the lookout for potential leadership. Always on the lookout for potential leadership. I'm always trying to find people to plug into places of service so that I can observe and watch and see if there is the potential for leadership. Now, I, I do tend to think that everyone's got the potential for leadership, but so few actually answer that call, act on it. Because what happens for many of us is we do what Moses did in verse 11. We begin to doubt. You see, when he's asking questions, he's actually doubting. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Most of you know the story. Later on, he's going to say to God, no, I can't go because I can't, can't talk. I stutter. I'm not a good speaker. And God's going to say, you're going anyway. And he sends Aaron with him. But he sends Pharaoh, to be, or rather a Moses, to be the leader. Listen, God wants to do things that you and I cannot even dream of. And I believe with all of my heart that he is searching, looking for young men and young women. Imperfect young men and young women who make mistakes, who have failures in their past, who will still fail because he will. There's going to come a point in time where he's going to get mad and he's going to beat a rock. God's going to, God's going to tell him, hey, I'm going to provide water, go speak to the rock. Not a big deal. You talk to bushes. Go talk to the rock. And Moses gets angry at the people, and instead of speaking to the rock, he beats the rock. Water comes out. Blows it big time. So you've made mistakes. Join the club. 
so what? You're imperfect. You got an attitude. You got whatever. You got heart issues. You got whatever it is that you have. God is looking for individuals that he can use. To, to use in the midst of these. He's inviting. I'm not sending you. He's inviting you. Come with me. Like, hey, I'm doing this incredible work in New Zealand. I want you to go with me. Let's go. Or I'm doing this incredible work in, uh, uh, in China. Come on, I want you to go. God's not sending you off on your own. He's looking for individuals that want to come with him, that want to submit themselves, surrender themselves, that want to join in on the adventure that he's on. He is in the midst of saving people throughout the world. I don't remember if I mentioned it in here. We haven't even seen each other, so I don't remember if I mentioned it. Actually, I don't think that I did. But it, uh, I think it is, I, I think it's in Syria right now. Boy, is it Syria or is it, I, no, it's Iran. In Iran, Iran at this moment is the scene of the fastest growing church in the world. It is underground. You understand what I'm saying when it's underground? Sometimes it's literally underground. But it is in secret. And many of the leaders of the church are females. And there are multitudes of former Muslims being saved and the church is exploding in Iran. And Iran, all of these people that are being saved are realizing from reading God's word that Israel, that they're God's people. Absolutely unheard of. I don't know if you know your history about those two countries. You can go read it for yourself later on. But it is incredible. Sheep Among Wolves is the name of a two-part documentary about this phenomenon, about this church in Iran that is blowing up. Right in the midst of the Muslim world, God is saving people. And I believe that he's looking for others that will partner with him, not without him, with him. He says here in verse 10, I will send you. But he doesn't mean I will send you and you'll go by yourself. We're going to find this out in just a moment. Moses asked some questions here. Man, we've got to finish up. I'm, i got to move fast. I'm sorry. Uh, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He asked the wrong questions. It doesn't matter who you are, Moses. I already know you're, you, you've blown it. Question is, who am I? And in verse 12, God says, So he said, I will certainly be with you. See there? So he's not sending Moses on his own. He's saying, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to lead you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. What he does here is he gives the invitation. Now he gives him the instructions. I'm going to read through much of this quickly. Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, Remember, he's still speaking to a bush. I am who I am. 
And he said, thus you shall say. See, he's giving him instructions. This is what you'll say to the children of Israel. I am has sent me to you. That is to indicate that God is the all-sufficient. I am whatever it is that you need. I am the all-sufficient. Verse 15, moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel. Again, instructions. Here's what you're going to say. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. More instructions. Verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come. There's the instructions again. You shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure, God says, that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will, here's some promises, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And in verse 21, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be, when you go, that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her, her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. So he's got this plan all spelled out. And he even says, when you leave, you're going to leave even more prosperous than when you came in. You're going to plunder the Egyptians. So God is in the midst of wanting to save his, his people but also to teach the Egyptians a lesson. Now, there are two things that I want to mention before we get out of here, and i got to shut this down real quick. What about you and I? What if I leave here, man? It's, it's like 1237. You know what that means, right? Your stomach is telling you what that means. It's lunchtime. Yes? Maybe you had a late breakfast. doesn't matter. You're ready to eat again. I am. If we leave here and we go, oh, that was a great story. That was nice. You know, animated movie and, you know, Ten Commandments or whatever, okay, great, don't, you know, what's for lunch? We don't want to do that. What you and I want to do is we want to say, hey, wait a minute, God. How does this apply to me? Like, like, are you trying to do this type of thing today? And, and, and are you looking for someone that you want to use in an incredible way? And perhaps God wants to use you and I. Not to send you out to do some incredible work on your own, but for him to do his incredible work through you. That's what he's going to do through Moses, this ex-peasant, ex-slave, ex-murderer, shepherd man who speaks to bushes in the wilderness. That's the type of individual that God chooses to do this incredible thing. I believe that he is still looking individuals today, any age. But see, what you and I can often do, like Moses did, remember when Moses started, well, who am I? How can I, you know, how, am I, how are you going to use somebody like me? We can go, well, 
I'm way too young. You might not. I wouldn't think that. You would think that. Well, I'm way too young. I'm just a teenager. I'm just a guy. I'm just a girl. I don't. You know. What am I supposed to do? The problem's too big and it's too huge. And I, there's. What What am I supposed to do? I. I there's. There's not. I, there's nothing I can do. Listen. Don't shortchange God. Don't put God in a box. Like. You know, God, I know that you, you know, you, you can, you can, you know, Jesus walked on the water, and I know that you split the Red Sea, and I know that you can, you know, use Moses and do all these incredible things, but psh, I'm just, you know, I'm just 15, I'm just 17, I'm just whatever your age is, and think to yourself, well, you know, God is powerful, but he can't use a 16-year-old. Why not? Is my question. Maybe your dream is too small. And maybe God's got a bigger dream, not just to deliver people out of, but to deliver people into a better life. And maybe he wants to use you. Have you ever thought about that, considered that? So the first thing that I want to do is, here's the thing. If, if, I, if I say, yeah, you know what? I, I, I want God to use me to do something. First thing you want to do is serve right where you're at. You don't have to go out looking like, okay, God, where are you? Are you in the bushes? Are you in the rocks? Are you, you know, maybe I'll get me a flock of sheep and go out to the backside of Menifee, and maybe God, maybe they didn't speak to me. No, serve right where you're at. That's what Moses did. Remember, God came to him when God was ready. God came to him. But in the meantime, Moses was leading, whose flock was it? Jethro. Jethro's wasn't even his own flock. He was serving someone else. So let's do the same. Serve someone else. Get busy serving. Where's the vacuum? Where's the broom? Where's the duster? I got all three of those. Or serve at home. Wherever you're at, serve. The second thing that I want to do, so I want to serve. The second thing that I want to do is when God comes and invites, opens up an opportunity for you, to like, hey, there's this great opportunity for you to go to Italy and be a missionary. There, that actually, that is, that is a thing. And that stirs your heart. Accept that invitation. Okay, God, I'll go. Don't doubt him. Don't start pumping the brakes. Don't come up with all the excuses why you can't go. Just accept the invitation. And allow him to lead. Moses is going to put up a fight your time. It's exciting. God is moving in incredible ways all over the world. Not just in Menifee. All over the world. And he's looking for individuals, I believe, men and women, young and old, every race or ethnicity or whatever it is that you believe, every color of skin. He's looking for, for, for individuals who are willing and uh, he's, he's in the process of finding that in Moses. This is that process that I've told you. He takes a person, breaks a person, in order to make a person. That's what he's in the process of doing. Um, if you need to go back and, and see those first two chapters, again, go back and listen to them either on the IGTV, Catch Up, chapters 1 and 2, or on YouTube or whatever, and, and see what it is that God may want to do in your life. Father, thank you so much for tonight. I mean, rather for this morning. Thank you for your word. And uh, we're praying that we wouldn't leave this room and leave the study in here. Like, shut the door on what you just said to us. But that as we go, as we eat our lunch, as we go about our business throughout this afternoon, that we would consider, prayerfully consider, 
how you may want to use us and what it is that you may want to do. There are so many, a plethora of social ills plaguing our society, plaguing our world. And there's seemingly no answer, but us in here, we know the answer is you, your love. But who's going to take that message? Could you do it yourself? You absolutely could. But you desire to use us. And so as we go, that these things would weigh heavily on us, not in a burdensome way, but that we would continually think about this and the possibilities and how you may want to use us. So we thank you now and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless you all. We are open.